Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Like you can't. I'm not sure. Oh, are you doing your Because Hannah is a bit. She's always loud for the wrong side. I don't think a lot of people will vote for her, though. We need to think of someone that everyone's going to vote for. Like Will Fisher. Well, a lot can happen in one day. True. So this, I think this just keep them in, them in our minds. I'm really struggling with Will, but I will have Yeah, them. just keep him in your back of mind. I'm here to solve it, and I actually think I might have nailed it. So Will votes Aaron, he then starts having a panic attack and leaves. So there must be two traitors and one of them's just backstabbed the other one. I honestly think I should be FBI if I've got... <laughs> like, hello, MI5. Actually, no, because you wouldn't say that you're MI5 if you work for MI5. You know what I mean? That was Treasure Is That Sound, weeknights at 9pm on BBC One. James Dempsey joins us uh, once again. Afternoon, James. Good afternoon, Sean. So uh, explain, I suppose first you should start explaining the drinking game Mafia. <laughs> what is that? Now, I, I actually can only claim to have a, having ever played Mafia once in my life on a stag do uh, on Good mm. Friday on the, on the River Shannon roughly five years ago, six years ago, I would say. And it is a, you know, a drinking parlour game whereby you sit in a circle and and uh, somebody is a killer and uh, everyone sort of looks around and the killer kills you through some sort of eye glance, I think. And then everyone else is trying to figure out who the killer is and eliminate people round by round by round. And it has been turned into The Traitors based on a Dutch TV show of uh, the same name in Dutch, which I can't pronounce. And it is now this big international success because not only do we have the BBC's version, there is already an Australian version and coming down the pipeline, there is an American version and they're really upping the ante in the American version because it's not uh, normal people. It is celebrities and stars of other reality TV shows who are known for being, you know, conniving and devious. So they're really upping the ante and playing into the, you know, the whole conniving nature of the show. I have to admit, mm. um, this is something that someone said to me, a friend of mine, Chris, texted me and was like, are you watching The Traitors? And... I, it hadn't necessarily appealed to me because there's a show called The Mole, which came back onto Netflix recently. Uh, it's a very similar kind of show. People are paired together. They take part in these great outlandish challenges and someone is trying to scupper them uh, throughout and they have to find the mole within. And if they do, uh, they win. And if they don't, the mole wins. And that came back with a kind of medium fanfare on Netflix, roughly at say November, maybe late October. And I watched maybe one or two and put it this way. Uh, like I'm always watching things for this slot and I thought oh, there's not even enough in that to talk about on <laughs> with <laughs> Sean McGree so I quickly went by the I, I quickly left that one behind and this is very similar to The Mole except for maybe one or two structural changes so they do uh, in addition to trying to find the traitors of which there are three out of the original 22 the other 19 are all called The Faithful they also take part in these big you know, uh, big tasks where they're trying to earn money. The ultimate prize packet is going to be about £120,000 sterling. And they all are trying to win the money because, you know, the the traitors have a vested interest in everybody winning because the bigger the prize packet, the bigger their take-home pay will be if they manage to win the game overall. But what has really struck me about the show, and, I've you know, I've mainlined about eight episodes in, in, you know, a day, is that... uh, 
it, it like it's when I was watching it, I was struck by this concept that it, it's like Love Island for ugly people. <laughs> and I mean that <laughs> in the sense that people people are constantly getting pulled away for a chat, Love Island style, right? So in Love Island, the chatting and conniving that goes on is to develop these quasi romances in order to ultimately stay in the game. Whereas here, they're trying to uh, find the traitors and and figure out who's lying and so on and so forth. And it's really like it, it's immediately interesting to watch other people playing this game, especially if you have some basic knowledge of how it is played, because they are showing absolutely no skill and yet complete and utter dogged determination in what it is they uh, in the in the line of play they're taking. So, you know, what happens is we have our we have at the beginning three traitors who are pulling the strings and uh, in the evening, everyone sits around this round table and they discuss very fervently who they think is the traitor uh, with, with very limited success, at least so far anyway. And meanwhile, when the, so then everybody votes and they get rid of a player. And uh, if it is a faithful, they announce, I am faithful and everyone cries <laughs> very dramatically and they walk <laughs> off and are never seen again. And then the remaining characters... Some of them just get, you know, rather uh, just get like dismissed in the, by a letter saying you have been murdered <laughs> by the traitors <laughs> and are never seen again either kind of thing. So the whole gameplay is kind of rather like silly and uh, a bit um, like kind of camp in its own way. Right. But what has really made it absolutely, you know, like a delight in terms of TV it's just how earnestly everybody involved is taking the show. So, like right at the very beginning, there's this um, couple. They enter the ha- they enter the, the the castle. Claudia Winkleman, I should say, also is doing uh, you know her her usual shtick of uh, making a few jokes here and there and comparing the whole thing. And this couple enter, and they are both faithful. Uh, both to each other and in terms of the gameplay. One is a magician, so he is constantly talking about how he's amazing at reading people and how brilliant he is at, at uh, getting people to do exactly what, he, what it is he wants. And about two days into the project, I mean, it couldn't be more than three days into the game, he goes absolutely bonkers and just gets up and, and admits to everyone that they are a couple, even though their entire game strategy has been to play separately and not reveal that they're romantically together. And it is such a minor thing to have gotten like you know gasp at, <laughs> but but just once you buy into the whole um, kind of nonsense of the show, it's really uh, infectious in its silliness. And I guess it's a little bit like playing a game, right? You watch them, uh, you watch them play. You get hooked on the rules. You want you, you have your favorites who you want to see. And the other thing I guess is because of the overtness of the traitors, right? If you watch the mole, you don't know who the mole is until quite later on in the show because there's not that many options left. Whereas here, we know from the very first episode who the traitors are. So, and we get to see their discussions with each other as they decide who to kill and what to do and their reasonings for this and that. And therefore, there's this kind of very enjoyable omniscience to being an audience member here because we know exactly what is happening at every moment. And we get to see the kind of absolute absurdity of the you know of the lines that people are taking like you know the faithful are looking at each other going you didn't ra-. <laughs> like it's actually really bad so one of the faithful 
lost her hand in an accident when she was maybe 20 in a, in a traffic accident and they, they point the finger at her and go you didn't raise the glass. <laughs> That's a bit tasteless <laughs> right? she's lost her hand. You didn't raise your glass to uh, to that person when we were raising our glasses to everyone and she's like yeah but the glass was in front of my you know the, my my arm that doesn't have a hand on <laughs> and then they quickly all turn on her and just you know axe her from the entire show and really it's a very interesting character study in kind of mob mentality right they just they just pick on something and just go with it no matter what and there is no skill or uh, reading or any of the kind of loftiness that they are applying to their to their gameplay and I mean the way they clap each other on the back for being like you're playing an amazing game and it is all just utter guesswork but look, this wouldn't have become this big international franchise if it didn't have uh, some sort of enjoyment to it. And I have to admit, I'm really enjoying it. I, I, and so are they all living in the same house together or something like that? <laughs> so, right. So the, it's set in this Sco- uh, castle in Scotland in the Highlands. And look, it's, it's beautiful in terms of the setting and the, the landscape and all that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> but they they bust them uh, well they they drive them in and out in these kind of black SUVs at the beginning of the show and at the end of the show every night and then we see uh, we see them kind of getting into baths and getting ready for bed and and then being told you've been murdered by a sheet of paper and then the following morning they come in in dribs and drabs so that because they don't know who has been eliminated overnight so it's all about kind of the drama of the reveal of who is gone uh, while they are sort of picking at their supermarket pastries and having breakfast so the production looks I mean it looks this must have been fairly cheap to make and I don't mean that as a huge criticism of it, right? Like, you know, I don't need my reality competition show to be, you know, a HBO drama that costs $20 million. But uh, there's kind of like a rough and readiness to the whole production uh, throughout that is kind of charming and part of it as well. Honestly, like it'll be coming to an end very, very promptly. But if you can catch up with it, you know, and you're looking for just something, like something a bit easy to enjoy while wrapping your presents. I could think of nothing better than this. It sounds like absolute rubbish, but now I want to see it, (laughs) uh, I I must say. Right, we'll move on to our next show. It is National Treasure, Edge of History, new episodes every Wednesday on Disney+. Plus. Here's a clip. Where did you get that necklace? It was my dad's. What did your father do? No idea. He died when I was a baby. Sorry. So your mother never told you anything about your dad? You know, just the usual. Like he was a thief and a reckless good-for-nothing. Then why do you wear his necklace? To remind me to not be a thief and a reckless good-for-nothing. What if I told you everything you know about your dad is a lie? I'm pretty sure you've never met my dad. No, but I've known men like him. Men who did what was considered wrong in order to do what they knew was right. Yeah, they're called criminals. This country was founded by criminals. Have a seat. What do you know about the treasure? Right, so obviously this is based on the Nicolas Cage. Was it Nicolas Cage who was in the movie? Yeah, Nicolas Cage and Diane Kruger and Harvey Keitel, who reprises his role, his you know, his iconic role as FBI agent Peter Sadusky, uh, <laughs> which everyone knows him for, uh, in a very short-lived cameo in the first episode of this. So, look, I have to admit, uh, National Treasure came out in 2004 and I was sort of just at the wrong age for it because I was, like, too old to be still being brought to the cinema by my parents and... 
also too young uh, to be bringing any kids or anything like that either. So, like, National Treasure is a family action-adventure movie in which Nicolas Cage, I think, plays a historian who finds various treasure. A bit of a, like, Indiana Jones, contemporary Indiana Jones mm. guy. And I have to admit, I like, I don't, uh, you know, I, I would consume a lot of the internet uh, and pop culture on the internet, and I don't see people constantly making reference to, oh, National Treasure. In, you know, it doesn't seem to me to have had the longevity of something like Indiana Jones or even... It was an Indiana Jones ripoff. It was an Indiana Jones ripoff. Uh, but like even, for example, like Tomb Raider, which is kind of an Indiana Jones uh, <laughs> ripoff with, uh, with a bosom, uh, is not, like has had more lasting power because it's obviously a computer game. But, we, you know, we've had various iterations of this, uh, the Uncharted movies, and uh, which are again spun off from games. And, all, you know, I get uh, the mummy to a certain regard, this kind of like taking historical treasure hunting and putting it on the screen. But nobody, I think, is clamouring or has been clamouring for Nicolas Cage to pick back up the role of that guy he played in, in, in uh, you know, National Treasure. And he isn't in this, I will say. Now, the only callbacks from the original is Harvey Keitel has a short-lived role in the, you know, literally in the first episode. And then Justin Bartha, who people will know from the Hangover movies as the guy who they're looking for in the first Hangover movie anyway, uh, he has a role in National Treasure as as kind of like the tech nerd on the side and he will be appearing, though he doesn't appear in the first two episodes. Instead, the drama here is focused on uh, Lizette Oliveira, who is an actress I didn't know before, who plays Jess, who we meet right at the very beginning where in the year 2001 when <laughs> her father is listening to a cassette tape. And I have to admit, I remember 2001. I don't think we were listening to that many cassette tapes back then, but whatever, yeah. right? Uh, so his, her father is a treasure hunter of some regard. Why he ha- why he's wearing a, a, you know, a, a nun's habit uh, <laughs> right at the very beginning is not explained to very well. But he quickly uh, comes undone to, or, or, or falls afoul of Salazar, the sort of, uh, well, and as yet undefined Mexican menace. And he's hunting for treasures of the Aztecs, the Incas and the Mayans who all secreted them from uh, Cortes and various other conquistadors uh, when they were, when their empires were crumbling. And instead we move 20, 20 years into the future where baby Jess is now a dreamer, uh, capital D or E-A-M, lowercase E-R, uh, who is, you know, an undocumented uh, person in the US and dreams of becoming an FBI crypto photographer expert and cannot do that until she gets American citizenship but there's all this uh, problem going on with her housing even though they live you know, you know they they go to great lengths to explain how her and her friends Tasha and Oren Tasha conveniently computer genius and Oren comic relief conveniently <laughs> um, they live in this really beautiful loft apartment and they're always going oh but the rent and you're kind of thinking yes but <laughs> you live in the nicest apartment in Baton Rouge that I've ever seen not that I've seen many Baton Rouge based apartments but uh, the, she desi- she she happens really upon uh, a you know a, a link to a treasure map uh, and falls afoul of Catherine Zeta-Jones who plays Billy now she Catherine Zeta-Jones Kind of an interesting actress, right? Because she had this big, you know, break, well, big movie, I guess, breakout in the early 2000s, winning her Oscar for Chicago. She then went on to win a Tony Award for Best Actress in a Musical. And then her career kind of uh, receded for a while. And she's back again in very recent weeks, both in this as a starring role as the principal antagonist. 
and as Morticia Adams in Wednesday. Now, I didn't particularly take Wednesday to heart when I reviewed it a couple of weeks ago, but it has been a huge hit for Netflix. They are constantly talking about how, you know, millions, well, millions and millions and millions of minutes of it have been streamed, which is their metric or the only metric they tend to release about audiences. But, I, I you know, it wasn't for me. Her Morticia was kind of like grand. It's not in it that much. Her Billy, the kind of... Uh, how will I say this, peroxide wig wearing <laughs> antagonist here. For me, the problem is her lines aren't just kind of camp enough, right? Like she's supposed to be this, you know, I don't know, sex pot villain uh, in, a, in a sort of kind of Bond style almost, like dropping, uh, you know, one-liners and sadistic evil nightmare woman. But uh, she really, it just doesn't, get enough to work with. And I think she, you know, I think Catherine Zeta-Jones can probably chew the scenery as as good as anyone, but Mm. uh, she doesn't get enough, you know, enough to really chew on here. All in, the thing is this, this skews too young for me, right? Like it's clearly made for, I think, an audience somewhere between the age of kind of 12 and 16. And my, those days <laughs> are long gone but for me. <laughs> but it's kind of like, I, I, when I was sitting down to it, I sort of thought it was like a timely reminder that you know, Disney Plus has served us an awful lot of very, very good adult content. Well, that's poorly phrased. A lot of good content for adults <laughs> this yeah. year. But like you have to remember Disney, you know, it cut its teeth on making shows for children and younger viewers. And if there are younger viewers in your life, they may, they may well get an awful lot more from this than I did. So, it, you know, I would say... Uh, as treasure goes, I'd probably look the other way, but certainly it has enough sparkle to attract a few people. Yeah, it, it, they may like it, having had no experience of the actual film franchise in, in, in the first place. Maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> uh, we'll move on to our third show of the day. It is Tommy Tiernan's Epic West. You can catch up now on the RTE player. Here's a clip. So to me, Puchin, apart from being a beautiful drink when it's made right, is also a great metaphor for Connemara in that it's independent, it's outlaw, it's beautiful, but it can also drive you crazy. There's many a decent man, toothless, that's ended up in psychiatric hospitals, <laughs> drinking this from the age of about seven. So, But here's to your health and here's to Connemara. Oh, that's gorgeous, lads. Oh, Jesus, that, that's really nice. Oh, my God, God, it's kind of sweet and drinky at the same time. Oh, I do feel like lying down in a field to be sure now that I have the taste right. Now, James, I haven't seen this, but there was a, there seemed to be a lot of commentary on Twitter which seemed to be evenly divided between, oh, Tommy Tiernan, he's a kind of a philosopher, poet, and the other half saying, what a pretentious twat. Uh, where, where, where did you fall? I, I fell somewhere in the middle as well, right? And like, funnily enough, when I was watching this, right, you know, Tommy Tiernan, uh, obviously a very, very funny stand-up comic, hugely successful in that arena, but has rebranded himself in the last two, three years as what I'm going to call, you know, Montrose's introspective uh, person in residence. And his talk, you know, his talk show is a really clever take of him, a, cre- cre- a very clever use of him, rather, in the sense that 
he's an interested person, right? He's very mm. good at uh, he's very good at sort of getting to the bottom of whoever he's talking to by asking questions and listening. It's even better when he doesn't know them, I find, because uh, because he has to rely specifically on that. But the, the 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 you know the chat show is a very interesting take on chat shows in general, and it may it has revealed him to be this very. Um, as I said, like, you know, a very interested person. And that works very well for a travelogue because part of a travelogue is, you know, walking around landscape. And we can see the landscape. If it is on television, it is shot. We can see it. And credit where it is due to Morris O'Brien, who's the director of this, it, you know, it is shot absolutely beautifully. This The scenery of the West is stunning to behold in the two episodes here. The film, you know, the cinematography, the film, film if that's the right word for a TV show anyway, is is beautiful and how it is framed is stunning. And the lighting, you know, from the clip there, he's drinking a, he's drinking a glass of pochin. And like, just it's so beautifully lit in this golden hour lighting uh, that took place, I think, during the summertime, roughly around two and a half years ago, because this has been a long time in the offing. And actually, it's very obvious <laughs> you see Tommy's beard changing quite dramatically <laughs> throughout the show. <laughs> Definitely a show like this, it, what they're going for is quasi-philosophy, right? You have him waxing lyrical on the nature of Irishness, the epicness of the West and the grandeur of the landscape and the rhythm of the poetry and the, you know, the the like the... I can't come up with this, right? <laughs> but, but it's not my job to come up with it there and then. It is the job of Tommy Tiernan, who is this interested, loquacious, uh, you know, dreamer, right? Who likes to spin a yarn and, and uh, philosophize and come up with things like that. Now, I'm going to make a bizarre statement here. When I was watching it, I was sort of thinking like, you know, another person who of whom the public opinion has shifted a lot in the last month, who or the last couple of years, who could also have done a program like this would be someone like Vogue Williams or the two Johnnies, right? And with those, you would get a completely different show, right? It's with you the, would. You wouldn't get the philosophizing. You wouldn't get the sort of lyrical, you know, poetry of the pattern, badinage and all these other nouns that I could throw at you. But you would get still the rugged beauty of the West, right? You have to kind of know what you're going into here. You're going into a show where a man who likes art and who likes literature and who likes language is going to extol all those virtues and 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 use art and use language and use all the, you know, tools in his at his disposal to make an arty languagey show, right? So that's what you have to know when you're going in. And if you and at two episodes I didn't find it too much. I found it just the right amount. Now, the other thing I will say in in criticism is throughout the show, Tommy Tiernan asks a lot of these open-ended questions and you're never going to find any answers here, right? It's always like, yeah. oh, the West, it does it have this amazing blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, but let's not go any deeper in our discussion of that. But look, I thought that like, you know, this right, This is the kind of thing, I mean this really as a compliment, that if you were flying home on an Aer Lingus flight and this was there, you would just be like, oh my God, isn't Ireland beautiful? Isn't Ireland stunning? And there's something in it for that, right? Of the, uh, like, it just paints the most beautiful image of the West. Like, and both my parents are from Galway. I spent a lot of time in the West as a child. Uh, and I'm a Meath man, like Tommy Tiernan. I don't have the affinity for the West <laughs> that he does. I don't care about crossing the Shannon. I'm sorry to all my family out the out west, but um, but but he almost makes me want to cross the Shannon again. <laughs> if you get me, okay, almost. almost. Okay, 
Uh, James will be spending in Christmas alone this year. Uh, so those three shows are The Traitors, weeknights at 9pm on BBC One, National Treasure, Edge of History, new episodes every Wednesday on Disney+, and Tommy Tiernan's Epic West. You can catch up on that on the RTE player. James Dempsey, thanks a million. Thank you. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm. On News Talk.